Well, good morning, Grace Church and Friends of Grace. On this first Sunday in June, uh, we are really looking forward to gathering together with those of you who are ready to join for in-person worship next week. Uh, if you're not ready to come back yet, that's okay. Um, we're going to be attempting to stream our service uh, while it's happening so that you can still participate at home. Uh, again, we ask that you would be patient with us during this whole process. Things are going to be different. Uh, we've taken the half of the rows out of the sanctuary uh, so that we can social distance. We're going to be asking you to wear a mask. Um, there will be no nursery as of right now. Um, so we know this is going to be a sacrifice and a difficulty for many of us. Uh, some of our preferences and some of our deals about what we think and how we think worship should happen uh, aren't going to be met. But it's going to be so wonderful and awesome to join back together to uh, link arms, metaphorically, obviously, because we'll be social distancing, um, but to, to link arms in worship uh, together again in person. Um, so I encourage you to look for what we can rejoice in. Look for what we can celebrate and celebrate those things. Um, we really are excited to join together again in person next week. Uh, but again, please remember, if you need anything at all during this time, if you or your neighbors need anything, please contact the church office. Let us know how we can love and serve and support you. Um, at this point in the day, I hope that you've downloaded the bulletin. Uh, if not, again, you can always hit pause. You can run to your phone or your iPad or computer. Download the bulletin from the church website so that you can follow along and participate with us as we worship. But finally... Why do we gather together online for worship today? Uh, we gather for worship because the God of the universe who created us and everything around us has revealed himself to us in the Bible. Through, and through Jesus, he invites us, he invites you into relationship with him and into his story of redeeming and renewing this whole world. It's only through responding to Jesus and his person and his work for us that we're actually brought in and we experience and we can know God. So wherever you are right now, uh, wherever you find yourself, please take a moment and prepare your hearts to worship and to meet with the risen God. Please stand if you are willing and able. If not, don't worry about it. But next week, we'll, we, we will be standing together. Uh, please join me in our responsive call to worship from Revelation chapter 5. In a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom, strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Oh, 
If you are standing, please be seated and join your hearts and spirits with me as we pray our prayer of adoration. Please unite your hearts with me. Our holy and gracious and triune God, we praise you for creating this world in all beauty, for redeeming it and us through Christ our Lord, and for sending us the gift of your spirit to encourage and instruct and to sustain us. We long for your spirit to be at work among us now to inspire our praise to challenge us with your truth, and to equip us for service in your world. It's in Christ's name that we pray now. Amen. Our call to renewal today comes from Psalm 130. Hear the word of our Lord. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord. More than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. As we come to our time of confession, the psalmist invites us to look inside of our hearts with honesty and with humility. We can probably hide from a lot of different people, even from ourselves, but the reality is, is we can't hide from the God who made us, from the God who loves us, and from the God who sent his son to chase after us. And when we come before our God, we have no good in ourselves to stand on, no merit, no effort uh, on our own that we can claim our righteousness before him. And yet, because of Jesus' love and his sacrifice for us, 
we can know his forgiveness. We can know his love and embrace, and we can be welcomed by him. So let's go before our God, confessing our sin together using the prayer printed in your bulletin. Please pray with me. Oh God, our great shepherd, you tenderly gather us as lambs, carrying us with, all, with your all-embracing love. Yet like sheep, we wander from you, following our own ways, ignoring your voice, distrusting your provisions. Forgive our stubborn rebellion, our hardened hearts, and our lack of trust. Refresh us once again by your quiet waters of mercy and restore our souls by your redeeming love. Guide our paths that we might follow you more closely. Through Jesus Christ, our good shepherd, we pray. Please take a few moments at this time to humbly reflect and confess before our God who is faithful to forgive us and faithful to love us. Friends, please lift up your heads and receive these words of encouragement from John chapter 3. John writes, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus was lifted up on the cross because of his great love for you, because of his love for his people. And it's through faith in Jesus that we are forgiven, that we are brought into a personal relationship with God, and that we are given life. So let's respond to his goodness and grace that he demonstrates to us in extending his peace towards us by extending our peace that we've received from him to one another. At this time, Take a few moments to text one another, to comment on the, on the Facebook comments. But at this time, the peace of the Lord be with you and also with you. And now I ask that you unite your hearts with me in prayer and we'll conclude with the Lord's Prayer printed in your bulletin. Please pray with me. Our gracious Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for the gift of life and creation. We thank you for this earth and the promise that you will one day bring about its redemption. We pray for your church today, gathered throughout every nation and family and tribe and tongue, to be a kingdom of priests serving. We thank you for the churches gathered for worship throughout this world and throughout this community. Uh, we pray this morning for the church project here in the Woodlands for their pastor, Jason Shepard, and his family and his staff. We thank you for their partnership in the gospel and ask that you would continue to use them to further your kingdom here in the woodlands. Grant to your church throughout this world, throughout this community, grace and humility where there's pride, unity where there is division, truth where there's error, wisdom where there is folly, that you might fulfill your purposes for her and through her. And today we do pray for the nations and their leaders. Give those who rule, who make decisions, and who lead great wisdom and great compassion. We pray that across your world you would bring an end to this virus and to its effects. The fear and sickness and confusion and death and a hurting economy. 
Help us to not live in fear, but in the confidence that you are in control and that you actually love us. As more and more places have reopened, give us wisdom to know how to respond. Give us grace and patience and empathy with those that might think differently from us. Continue to support and strengthen the doctors and the nurses and healthcare workers across the world laboring endlessly. Give them energy and the supplies and the equipment and resources and the rest that they need. Protect them and each of us from sickness, from mental and emotional despair. Bring great healing and relief to those who are sick and grant that in our own communities, those who are troubled and those who suffer, those who are discouraged, that they might actually find support in their brokenness, especially through your church. And Father, for our community this morning, we are deeply thankful for it, but we do know that among us, there are many and great needs. Uh, Give us wisdom in knowing how to reopen well next week. For those who are sick and those who are weary, whether physically or emotionally or mentally or spiritually, we ask for health. We ask for strength and recovery. For those who are anxious and troubled, give great rest and understanding. For those who are weary and defeated, we ask for fellowship, for grace and the presence of your spirit. Help us to continue to pursue creative and intentional ways, looking to strengthen our relationships, to serve and to come alongside those who are hurting. And for those who are enduring great grief and loss, give great comfort and assurance. For those who are enduring financial hardship and job loss and anxiety, we beg for your provision. Help us as your people to be attentive to the needs of those around us and give us the humility to be able to ask for help when we need it. And for those with broken or damaged relationships, we beg for true healing and for repentance. We ask that we would take hold of your vision for your kingdom, that we would labor to love our neighbors, and that we would seek the good of those around us. Father, hear us now as we pray the prayer that your Son has taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We come now to our time of offering. This truly is an act of worship. Again, one where we admit and recognize all that God has graciously given to us is a gift from him. Uh, If you are able to give during this time, we encourage you, you can give online uh, at www.gracewoodlands.org. You can follow the links there, or you can still send a check into the church office if you'd like to do that. But know this, our God has given to us so graciously and so abundantly that it is our joy to respond by giving graciously and generously back to him. Well, last week we concluded our series on Joseph, and next week we'll be beginning a new series called Summer in the Psalms. But as we think about re-entering into in-person worship next week, 
Uh, We're going to look today at Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 to 26. Uh, Galatians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to one of his church plants in modern-day southern Turkey, and Paul spends the entire letter calling them back to the gospel. He reminds them over and over again that the only boundary marker for the people of God is grace received through faith in the Spirit. The Galatians are being misled by a group of people who are adding the Torah, the law, most notably circumcision, uh, food laws, and Sabbath laws to the truth of the gospel. They're saying things like, in order for you to be inside God's community, yes, we agree that you have to have faith, but you also must do and abide by these set of laws. Now today we don't really struggle with circumcision and food laws and Sabbaths, Um, But if we're honest, we do add things to the gospel. We do make our own litmus tests, as it were, to divide and decide who's in and who's out. Um, We do things like, what kind of music do you listen to? Or what kind of movies or TV shows do you watch? How do you engage with culture? What kind of education do you provide for your children? Um, How do you or your children dress? Uh, And now we do things like, do you stream your service or not? Uh, Will you sing when you get together for in-person worship or not? Will you wear a mask when you worship? Uh, What happens when we make anything other than faith in the Spirit's presence, the boundary marker of the community of the people of God, is that divisiveness creeps in and it produces factions and dissent and elitism and oppression. And that's exactly what we find going on in the church at Galatia And it's exactly what we want to fight against as we resume in-person worship here at Grace. And so please read with me God's word starting in in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. We'll read to verse 26. Hear the word of our Lord. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Please pray with me. Father, we come to you in need of you to be at work in our lives. We know that you are, and we trust that you are, 
but we ask that you would move and work by your word and by your spirit now to open us to what you would have for us today. Uh, We thank you that Jesus came and lived and died for us and that you use your word, you use your worship of your people to change and to transform people's lives and hearts and to change and transform communities. Father, we pray that you would do that even this day. It's in Christ's name that we come. Amen. Well, when Megan and I were in seminary in St. Louis, uh, we had friends that adopted a little boy into their family. Uh, The boy had lived in an orphanage previously where he was treated really poorly, and he didn't always get to eat. Uh, So when our friends brought him home, they noticed at mealtime that the boy would just bury his head, and he would eat all of his food before anyone could take it away from him. And one, and then when they, they noticed that when other people weren't looking or they'd get up to go take care of something, he would steal their food and he would eat it really quickly as well. Well, one night, uh, this boy's new parents caught him sneaking out of his bed and downstairs into the kitchen and the pantry. He was taking food back to his room and he was hiding it uh, so that he would be sure to have some food if he ever got hungry. His parents took him and they explained to him, you are our son. We love you and all that is ours is yours. All this food is yours. You can eat it whenever you want. You don't have to steal it. You don't have to hide it. It's yours. This boy was living as if he was still an orphan in his parents' home when in reality he was their son and they had, they, and, and everything that they had was his. He wasn't living in line with this new identity that he had been given when his parents adopted him and brought him into his family and changed his name. And that's exactly what's going on in our passage today from Galatians. The Galatians belong to Christ Jesus. They're his. They've been crucified. They've been raised with him. They're alive in the spirit. They're heirs of the kingdom. And yet, as a community, they've made something else their identity. And as a result, they're biting, they're devouring each other, Paul says. There's conflict in the church. So for us, the underlying question today is, what's your identity? Who are you? Or maybe whose are you? Do we see ourselves as children of God, heirs of the promise, a spirit-filled people free from the law and from sin to love? Or do we act like orphans, fighting, stealing, doing whatever it takes to get what we think we need. Remember, Paul is calling the church in Galatia to let faith in Christ be the only boundary marker for who is in the kingdom. And earlier in chapter 5, Paul told them, you are free. He says you're free from the law. It's not your faith plus your performance that makes you acceptable. And you're free from failure and the guilt and the shame that comes with not measuring up because Jesus has saved you and has given you his record So that now when God looks at you, he actually sees his son and he sings. So we hear the call in verse 13 that we are free. But we're not to use that freedom to do whatever we want to indulge our sinful desires. Rather, as verse 14 shows, we're free to serve one another humbly in love. Our freedom should cause us to put others above ourselves and actively love and pursue and serve them seeking nothing at all for ourselves. No recognition, no response, no thank you cards, nothing. 
But as verse 15 points out, the people in Galatia are living as if they're not free. They're letting something other than the gospel define them. And because of that, it's ruining their relationships in the church. It's ruining their relationships with one another. One commentator writes this. He says, they continue to care about external things that don't matter anymore, things that God has put aside through Christ in the spirit, while the things that God really cares about are relationships inside and outside of the community of faith are being cast aside in the interest of getting our religious stuff right. So where do we sacrifice our relationships inside, outside of the church to get the religious stuff right? Paul says this is not the way it's supposed to be. And so as we think about approaching re-entry next Sunday, worship is going to look very different. Uh, We're asking that you wear masks, that maybe you don't sing as loudly as you normally would, that you wash your hands a lot, uh, that if you're over 65, you consider staying at home for your own safety, that if you're sick, you definitely stay home and participate through the live stream. Jesus calls us to use our freedom to serve one another humbly in love. Humbly means with humility. C.S. Lewis and Tim Keller give us this definition of, of humility. They say, humility isn't thinking less of yourselves. It means thinking of yourself less. So as we think about coming back to in-person worship, how can we serve each other in humility? How can we think about ourselves less that we might serve those around us? I'm going to be honest with you, this is really hard for us as Americans because we've been taught and we've been trained our whole lives that you never let anyone impinge upon your freedoms. You never let anyone take them away. You never sacrifice those. But the gospel, Jesus' way, encourages us to think completely different from that. So we need to ask, as I heard one pastor say recently, not how can I maximize the expression of my freedom? But how can I welcome you? How can I voluntarily give up my freedom so that you can be received in full fellowship? Jesus' way encourages us to think, how can I give up my freedom to serve and love and communicate the care of Jesus to those around me? Or put it another way, even more pointedly, how much can I be inconvenienced to make those around me feel loved? You might think that it's really silly to wear a mask right now, but what if wearing a mask in worship is going to serve someone else in our midst and make them feel comfortable and able to experience and join in worship with you? The same goes for singing. The same goes for social distancing. How can you look to give up your freedom to serve those in our church, those in our community, those in our midst, those gathered for worship? Jesus gives up his life and dies so that we might be brought in. So what are some of the ways that we can give up our freedoms and die to ourselves so that others might know and experience the love of Jesus? And that leads us to verse 16, where Paul says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Well, what what is the Spirit here? One commentator says, The Spirit is the personal, empowering presence of God. This is the driving theme of this passion. How do we not indulge our sinful nature? How do we love our neighbor as ourselves? How do we stop attacking each other and live like the people of God that he has called us and designed us to be? 
We walk in the Spirit. Later, Paul exhorts the Galatians to keep in step with the Spirit. In the movie 300, uh, the Spartans are in battle formation, and they're marching with their shields up, and they're moving as one unit. They have to keep in step with each other because if they don't, the whole army is susceptible to attack. They can't just march around on their own as they wish. In order for them to be effective, they have to keep in step with their purpose. And walking in the Spirit is like that. It's taking God's purposes, his desires, his character, and making it our own and doing it together in community. And look at verse 18 with me. If you're, if you're led by the Spirit, Paul says you're not under the law. Does that make you a little bit uneasy? Um, if we take away the law, won't we just go on doing whatever we want? How will there be any order? You might even ask, so the law doesn't apply to us anymore? Well, the answer is yes and no. Um, doing the requirements of the law, you're earning God's grace, doing, uh, being obedient, trying to earn brownie points, it doesn't get you in with God. It doesn't get his attention and make him love you. But the law is fulfilled in loving your neighbor as yourself, Paul says. So the law no longer condemns us when we, call, when we fall short, and yet the Spirit still calls us to walk by him and to love and to serve people. But when we hear, you are not under the law, we might be tempted to then go on and live as we please, indulging our sinful nature as we please, indulging our desires, doing whatever we like, whatever we think is best, whenever and however we want, because we can now. Because grace through faith really is the only boundary marker because you can't tell me what to do now. But Paul immediately responds to that idea and that thought and says, don't use your freedom to indulge your sinful nature. Don't do it for yourself. Rather, use your freedom to serve one another humbly in love. And what we find is that walking in the Spirit it actually replaces the law. And it's the antidote to our sinful nature. The law is what was creating the conflict in Galatia in the first place. If you kept kosher food laws, if you are circumcised, if you were keeping Sabbaths, then you were good. This was causing the people to bite and to devour each other. It was causing problems in their relationships and in their community. They were looking at the law and they were measuring the strength of their faith and the faith of those around them, their identity as the people of God, by how well they were keeping it. But Paul says, if the Spirit is present, his presence empowers us to fulfill the law with love and not the other markers that we like to make. A Spirit-filled life is one of love, one of service. It's marked by the fruit that we're going to talk about in a moment, but through faith in Christ, which gives us the Spirit's presence, we're no longer condemned by this law. We have the Spirit of the one who fulfilled the law and loved us, Jesus himself inside of us. And it's only through resting in his spirit that we can love and we can begin to serve in this way. The law has no power whatsoever to make us obey. The old ways that we like to measure our relationship with God or other people's relationship with God, they're not what define you anymore. So how, you know, how do we usually measure if you're walking with the Spirit? Well, you know, isn't, it amount, isn't it by the amount of effort that I'm really putting in? Isn't it by if I'm having my daily devotions, if I'm praying a lot, 
if I'm participating in the live stream at my church, by how much I'm really caring for those people around me, if I'm wearing masks and gloves and I'm social distancing, um, by me not doing these terrible sins. Remember, doing those things is isn't bad, and they can actually be really great ways to grow in your relationship with Jesus. But when they become, with those in our other favorite conditions, when they become the boundary markers for how we measure for who is in and who is out of God's community, for who's worthy and who's acceptable, who's loved and who's not, who's, who's capable and who isn't, this is when we begin to have problems inside of the church. This is when we begin to have problems inside of the body of Christ. When we're self-proclaimed heresy hunters on Facebook, when we're looking to catch people to show how they don't get it and how we really do get it, when we're constantly offended by people around us for thinking or believing or acting or doing life differently or doing Christianity differently than us, that's when we have problems in Jesus' church. What this passage says is that the Spirit renders the law and all of those things powerless. You are defined by Jesus putting his Spirit in you through faith. And that's it. There's nothing else that defines you now if you are his. The Spirit is the only thing that can change our attitudes and our behavior to love and to serve people in our relationships. The Spirit is actually sufficient for living life without the law for walking in the Spirit, for being involved in a relationship with this Jesus. It's what allows us to love people. It's the only way that we can actually exercise our freedom to love and serve those around us. And when we try to do it without the Spirit, we get tired. We get tired from trying. We get worn down and we don't see the point anymore. And it's not good for us or our community. But the sufficiency from the Spirit to live a life without the law it's also a sufficiency that enables us to not revert to our old patterns and the habits that we had before we were filled with the Spirit. Our sinful nature is always concerned with me. It's always concerned with my rights. The sinful nature sees everything in relationship to fairness to me. Am I getting back what I'm putting into this relationship? Are you doing what's best for me and my family? Are you violating my rights? Are you in disagreement with my thoughts, my beliefs, my practices, my theological, my political agenda? This is why Paul can say in verse 17 that the sinful nature desires what's contrary to the spirit and the spirit what's contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other. They can't coexist. And that makes sense to us, especially since we see in Paul in verse 16, Paul says, his call to walk in the Spirit is the only avenue by which we're able to serve one another humbly in love. But just as the Spirit frees us from the law, the Spirit frees us from our sinful nature and its desires. And now the desires of the sinful nature are that we're not talking about our personal and our interior struggles here. It's talking about the desires and the behaviors that come out in community that affect our relationships with each other. So, in walking by the Spirit, we can put off those desires to elevate ourselves at someone else's expense, to look down on those around us for not measuring up um, or for doing or thinking differently than we, we want them to. We can actually be gracious with, with those that might be more or less anxious about we are 
in re-entry into larger gatherings. Uh, we cannot bite and devour each other, and we can actually love and serve out of humility, not worrying about our recognition, not worrying about me getting my needs met, because if I'm worried about you getting your needs met and you're worried about meeting the needs of those around you, we're all going to have our needs met. We're just going to be caring for each other as Jesus calls us to. And we can actually offer ourselves for the sake of others. And that sounds really nice on the surface, but it really is hard. It's not easy. It really is difficult. And Paul recognized that, and he says the conflict is real. It is hard to love the people around you. It's hard to not demand what should be yours. It's hard to, to give of yourself and to not get anything in return. It's hard to not have someone say thank you and be grateful for your graciousness towards them. Paul sees that, and he offers hope to us. In verse 16, he says, As we walk in the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. It's because, as we said earlier, when we try to love people and we're, and we're not walking by the Spirit, we give out really easily. And we, we hurry back to trying to satisfy ourselves. And we get defensive and we get selfish and we focus on how I can be happy and how I can meet all of my needs. And we see from verse 15 that even in Christian community, our desires still reflect the sinful nature at times. Paul says some are biting and devouring each other. But this is no longer an option for God's people who live in and walk by the Spirit. The Spirit stands against contention and against selfishness. So for Paul, the Spirit and the sinful nature are directly in opposition to each other, just like the Spirit and the law. For, for those who are in Christ, the law and the sinful nature are both things that are opposed to the gospel and are opposed to the Spirit. And if you are a believer, they are the things of the past. And we see this evidence in the list that Paul gives in 19 to 23. We see it in the works of the flesh when he contrasts them with the works of the, with the fruit of the Spirit. The works of the sinful nature or the flesh, just like the works of the law, keep you from being in the Spirit and they belong to the past, the old order of things. The first list shows up because when we realize that we're free from the law, and life really is all about grace, it's easy for us to revert back to these destructive habits and these lifestyles that we had before we became a spirit-filled people. We have this conflict going off, and we often succumb to letting our desires win out. And this list is, is broken up into four categories. The first one is wrong use of sex, and then wrong use of worship, and then breakdowns in relationships, and then excesses. The thing I want you to see today is that, is that these are the outward behaviors that affect the community. What I don't want you to do is to use this as a personal litmus test for how you're measuring personally and how you're walking with the Spirit, thinking as long as I'm not doing these things in this list, I'm good. This list is given to show the people of God that these things are not an option for you anymore. These works should not characterize you. Yes, you still may struggle and you may fail sometimes and indulge these things, but Paul is talking about a way of life, those who live this way. The reason this behavior should not characterize us as God's people, as the body of Christ, is in verse 21. Those that live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's saying this doesn't mark you anymore. 
you're not this people. This is who you used to be. And he has gone previously to great lengths to say that you're heirs of the promise. So the implied notion is if you're resting in Jesus through faith, you have the spirit and you will inherit the kingdom of God. And so the question becomes again for us, what is your identity? Where is it? Are you, inherit, are you an inheritor of the kingdom or aren't you? And if you are, then these things can't go together at all. And then Paul goes on to counter this list with what the Christian life empowered by the Spirit should actually look like. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This list shows the character of God himself. So the more that we place ourselves in step with the Spirit in community, the more that we're going to reflect the character of God together to the people around us. Remember, this is all happening in community. So the fruit is not for you and for your benefit. If you think about a, a fruit tree that might be planted in your yard, uh, when that tree produces fruit, that fruit is not for the tree itself. It's not for the benefit of the tree. It's not for the nourishment of the tree. It is solely for those around it. The tree doesn't gain anything or benefit from producing fruit, but those around the tree benefit and are nourished and sustained by the tree's fruit. And the same is true for us. When we produce the fruit of the Spirit, when we reflect the character of the God of the universe, it's always for the benefit. It's always for the service of those around us. And the fruit doesn't come when we try really hard without the Spirit's help, when we set all of our affections. Um, it, it, it comes only when we set all of our affections on the Spirit and we actively are watering and we are, are fertilizing and, and, and tending to our tree. We're actively placing our thoughts and our actions and our motivations on the Spirit and we let Him have His way with us instead of forcing our way. And then the fruit grows and it becomes a part of us and we're able to give it away to those around us. If the works of the sinful nature shouldn't characterize spirit-filled people, then this list is here to show us as a community of believers what our lives should actually look like as spirit-filled people, how the spirit should affect every angle and aspect of our lives. And again, it's not easy. It doesn't just happen because you, you believe in Jesus. We can't just sit back and wait for God to just start producing fruit in us. Sometimes he does, but we actually pursue him and we pursue him in relationship with each other and we pursue Jesus in his spirit and the fruit that he is longing for us and calling us to produce with his help and not by ourselves. And then this passage closes with the assurance of how we can live in and how we can walk in the spirit and not satisfy our sinful nature. We live in the reality that we no longer belong to ourselves, but we belong to Jesus. We are his. You are secure if you are his. And in being his on, at the cross, Jesus took our sinful nature on himself and its desires and everything along with them, and they were crucified with him there. So they no longer have any power over you because you've been brought to life in the spirit, and now you are free to live and walk with the Spirit because the Spirit is in you. You've been given a new identity. In uh, Hugo, uh, in, the, in the play Les Mis, uh, it begins with, with Jean Valjean. 
he's in prison and he's where he spent the last 19 years being a slave to the law for stealing a loaf of bread. And during that time, he's become prisoner 24601 and that is his identity. He's a prisoner and he's just a number. But then after 19 years, he's given his freedom. Now it would be really silly of, for Valjean to either go back to work at the prison pretending he wasn't free, wanting to use his freedom to remain a slave. Or it would be silly for him to enter back into a life of crime that would put him back into his slavery. In his newfound freedom, Jean Valjean must remember who he is. He is not a prisoner any longer. He is not 24601. He is Jean Valjean. He is free. Paul is encouraging us today to remember who we are. Are we still prisoners, either to the law or to ourselves, or are we free? Are we children and heirs of the promise and children and heirs of the king? When we remember what Jesus has done for us and we continue to line our lives up with the Spirit, we'll be free to not add anything external to the lone boundary marker of faith for who is in the covenant community. We'll be freed from feeling the pressure of people around us to look and to act a certain way so that we look like we fit in and, and fit in their desires. We'll also be freed to not fall back into our destructive patterns and our habits and our lifestyles because the reality of who we are has now been changed. We've been freed. And then we can be free to use our freedom to serve one another humbly in love, giving up our rights and our privileges for the sake of and the benefit of those around us, giving our fruit away, as it were. And as we resume gathering together, we must cling tightly to the gospel because when we add to it or we forget it, when it becomes the thing that we are not defined by, we find ourselves living like orphans at the king's house. If you're not a follower of Jesus today, this all sounds crazy to you, I'm sure. But do you know this kind of security? Are you free from the expectations of others? Or are you free from your own expectations? If you're trusting in Jesus this morning and the work that he's done for you in faith, you are his child and you are free now to love, free to walk in the spirit, free to serve and give up your wants and your desires and your perceived needs for the sake of those around you because that's exactly what Jesus has done for you. Do you know that freedom today? Who are you? Whose are you? You've been set free. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your pursuit of us, for your giving up your son Jesus and him giving up his rights and his privilege and his status so that he might come and serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Uh, we thank you that he didn't use his freedom to serve himself, but rather to serve us humbly in love and to sacrifice. Maybe we be a people that willingly gives of ourselves so that we might benefit and serve and show those around us you and your grace and your love and mercy. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Now receive the Lord's benediction. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now let us go forth to serve this community and the world as those who love our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks Thanks be to God. God.